Welcome to Innovations of Health, a podcast that gives you the latest in healthcare trends and news. We'll be sharing advances in digital technology and breakthroughs in healthcare that eases people's way and provides a better healthcare future for all. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Colmia. I spend my days as an executive director of digital strategy for the Providence Digital Innovation Group. Uh, before we get started, a quick note. Uh, the information provided during this event is for informational purposes only. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or health professional. Uh, now let's go ahead and get started. It is my great pleasure to welcome this live event, Julie McComish. So Julie is a Senior Digital Strategy Manager within the Providence Digital Innovation Group on my team. And she's really our subject matter expert and rock star for, among other things, uh, digital behavioral health. So welcome, Julie. How are you today? Thanks, Matt. I am doing well. It's uh, great to be talking to everyone. I'm thankful for people who are spending their lunch with us or joining us later. Awesome. That's be part of the conversation. Let's go. Let's jump in. Uh, so, Julie, can you start by telling us what you do in your role with Providence? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, am part of the digital integration group here at Providence. Our job is to help improve the digital experience for not only our patients, but those in our Providence communities. So our effort is really to help people come online with us. But within the strategy group specifically, we work with our system leaders, uh, whether those are clinical leaders, population health leaders, uh, business leaders to think about how we can use digital to improve our goals. So for behavioral health, I'm often working with our uh, clinical lead of the Behavioral Health Leadership Council, as well as our uh, uh, strategy leads in the population health team to think about how we can improve access and quality care for the patients that we serve. Great. So um, you know, the Digital Innovation Group, and we have a lot is published on our website, uh, focuses on four domain areas. And one of those domain areas is behavioral health. So let's dive in a little bit more like why is digital is behavioral health, excuse me, a priority for DIG? Yeah, I mean, behavioral health is a really critical component of overall health. Uh, and it's something that impacts a lot of people more than 20% of people are going to experience some type of behavioral health condition in a year. More than half of people will experience a behavioral health condition in their lifetime. So we know that this is impacting a lot of people. And it's something that is often not supported very well. Uh, we know that, you know, I saw a survey that 21% of people who wanted to access behavioral health care couldn't. And there's a lot going into that. Sometimes the financial model doesn't work. It's hard to get reimbursed for those visits. Um, there's a shortage of providers. Uh, and, and that's really challenging. And this is really impactful for our system, too, because not only is it impacting um, the people that we're serving, but it's also really intertwined with cost. So we know that behavioral health uh, conditions increase, um, tend to correlate with an increase in the cost of um, healthcare for those patients. So Milliman, uh, an actuarial firm, did a recent study on how much um, cost was being uh, 
borne by our by behavioral health patients. And they saw that while 27% of the population had an active behavioral health diagnosis, those patients resulted in 56% of the costs. And so we know that, you know, healthcare costs are increasing and we're not going to be able to help manage that if we're not really supporting our behavioral health patients. Well. Sorry about that. My dog might bark in the background a little bit. Um, so you sold me on why behavioral health, but why should we look to digital versus traditional care for solutions? Like what about behavioral health makes it specifically a good opportunity for digital to play a role? It's such a good question. And digital is a really, really critical component in addressing the behavioral health needs that we have right now. I think there's, you know, one of the things that is really critical is that it's a great way to support access for patients. I mentioned already that there is a provider shortage. Uh, so patients are increasingly demanding care, and yet the supply uh, for providing actual help is not increasing commensurately. And so that is kind of one of the biggest things. Um, in some cases, digital can allow us to just match care better. So for example, we know that in 60% of US counties, there isn't a single psychiatrist. 60% of counties in the US, not with a single psychiatrist. And so virtual can help us match people in rural areas, in underserved areas, so that they can get care that wouldn't otherwise be accessible to them. So that's one great thing, but that doesn't help the shortage. So technology is a great way because it can scale that support. So if instead of just matching someone with a psychiatrist, let's say that we helped provide a digital resource to that primary care physician so that they got extra diagnosis support ahead of time. Maybe we, they didn't need the psychiatrist to be able to provide those services. And all of a sudden that one psychiatrist is able to support even more patients. And so digital has this way of amplifying our resources. I think a second thing is that behavioral health conditions are not limited to when someone, is, what during business hours. Um, people have issues you know, through, throughout the day and the emergency department is not always the right place to be getting care. So if people have support mechanisms on their phone, maybe they've got an app that can help them manage, let's say a panic attack, or um, they might you know, be in an anxiety spiral. And, and so they've got a tool to, to support them in, in working through that. That's something that can help them get care throughout the night whenever they need it. And it can avoid a visit that might not have been as helpful as they wanted. I'll add one last thing, which is around improving the quality of care. And digital can really help us with that component. Uh, I heard recently from a patient who was experiencing suicidal thoughts, and they mentioned that they had gone into the emergency department and they it was so clear to them that the physician who was seeing them was nervous about working through the suicide with them. And that just made them feel even more uncomfortable and embarrassed. And it kind of amplified the stigma that that patient felt. Digital can help kind of standardize the care experience and help 
physicians who often don't have a lot of training around behavioral health provide a more consistent experience that feels more caring instead of one that is just around safety prevention. So definitely access, quality of care, and 24-7 support. Lots of great reasons that digital can help. Those are great. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Um, so to, to talk a little about a report, you recently published a report on behavioral digital health um, on our resource page. I'll share the link later. But the title of the report is, it's behavioral health time finally. So so why the finally, why now? And you know, to kind of say the obvious, how has COVID-19 changed the trajectory of digital behavioral health? Yeah, great, great question. And I, I'm, I know I want to focus this conversation on digital. It's what I work on a lot, but I'm going to provide just a little bit of context here uh, for historical purposes. And, and I think it'll help illustrate some of the problems that we've had in supporting our patients with behavioral health previously. Behavioral health uh, the rate of behavioral health has been increasing. We know more patients are experiencing suicidal thoughts, deaths from suicide and overdose have been increasing. We know that patients are having more and more needs. And yet, historically, there has been um, a lot of cost containment in the industry. There have been problems with accessing services. And that's meant that a lot of patients have not been able to get the services that they need. I think a recent statistic showed that patients often wait or end up um, not getting care until 11 years after their first symptoms. So we know that patients just aren't getting care. These patients who aren't getting care are kind of backing up. Uh, and, and so we've got this bulk of patients who are, are struggling with conditions that really aren't supported. So even before COVID, we were talking about this as a crisis. And then COVID comes along and we know that a lot of the things around COVID were going to make this more severe. Social isolation, financial struggles, uh, all of these things amplify behavioral health conditions. A lot of people who maybe who hadn't experienced conditions were having symptoms for the first time. Uh, and so this created just even more of a bolus of patients who were needing support. And while all of this is happening, a lot of support services were shut down for a short period of time. So we've got all these patients and what was pretty incredible during COVID is the shift to virtual and how patients were able to access care in a completely different way. We know that before COVID, very few patients felt comfortable using virtual care. Uh, and yet behavioral health is a really great candidate. It's a highly cognitive discipline. Um, it's not often something that needs a really physical examination. And so patients were able to shift to virtual in an unprecedented way. They were able to get access. And so, you know, for a lot of patients that helped manage some of the stigma, you know, they didn't have to worry about being seen at a therapist's office or they weren't worried. And so more and more patients were, were reaching out for help because more people were needing it. And on top of that, we saw an unprecedented year of investment in digital health because 
we know that this is a critical support mechanism. Employers are providing support like they never have before. So we've got all these extra patients, we've got more people with need. And what's really changing is that the conversations are happening. Employers, payers are starting to bring these services forward. We've got innovation happening like never before. It's being funded in an unprecedented way. And so right now we're looking at all of these great opportunities uh, and a, a shifting tide in how people are responding to these offerings. Yeah. And follow up on that sort of, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunities arising. What are some spaces you're most excited about? What are some of the biggest opportunities? You know, where, where, where do we see things going? Yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, there's innovation happening across the industry, which is really fantastic to see. Uh, within the system, we're working on a lot of foundational elements, which is great. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the way that we approach it here at Providence is by looking at, you know, where is the most need for our patients? How can we provide the most support. And so we've segmented our patient population uh, by acuity. And when we are we're thinking about digital, the way that we've approached it is that working with patients with depression and anxiety, especially in that subacute, mild to moderate conditions, that's really where digital is going to be our sweet spot right now. Though we've got a lot of fantastic um, offerings you know, coming out as well. Um, we'll talk probably later about some suicide prevention mechanisms that we are incorporating, which, you know, is a higher acuity patient population. Um, one of our big focus areas for the coming year is going to be around substance abuse and supporting patients there. Uh, and I think one of the coolest things is around, um, uh, biometrics and screening and how we can recognize behavioral health conditions without um, kind of the lengthy screener tests that feel honestly pretty repetitive to patients. So mm -hmm. being able to recognize um, when patients are having issues and then over the course of their care, noticing when maybe they're um, struggling more than normal or need some extra support, uh, lots, of, lots of cool areas there too. That's great. I know, I know we've got a lot going on within the organization. I want to pull back for a second and kind of talk a little bit about um, how we do what we do. Um, so could you talk a little bit about like, what is our your process for evaluating deploying some of these technologies for your partners? Feel free to shout out our friends, <laughs> Roger Arpin, and I'm sure more, but like talk a little bit about what this looks like here. Um, who do you partner with? Uh, how do we decide where to to invest our resources and what are we doing? Partnership is such a critical component of this work. I am coming with a background in technology. And so it's so valuable for us within the Digital Innovation Group to be able to work so closely with our fantastic clinical and population health partners, Dr. Arpinwood Gray, uh, Roger Dowdy, uh, Robin, Dr. Robin Henderson. Um, we, you know, I'm, I'm working very closely with the leads, um, Dr. Paul Geiger, um, who's with our, our health plan. So we've got a lot of resources and um, able to, to come together to think about um, the, the patients from a clinical perspective, from a population health perspective. And so within the Digital Innovation Group, we really use a pretty um, 
uh, thorough process when we're looking at technologies. Ultimately, we want to try and stay problem focused. So we start with, you know, what are the biggest problems that we're seeing? Um, so I mentioned already that mild to moderate anxiety, uh, being able to support those patients through primary care providers, especially with limited therapist offerings um, when some of the medications are not working as well, or, or maybe patients don't want to go on to medications. You know, that's a great example of the a problem that we were working on. We know that these patients just aren't getting care in the way that we want them to. And so um, taking those problems, uh, really putting some numbers and research behind it, how many people are that? What's the impact um, from the patient perspective, from the cost perspective, uh, and, and using that to prioritize the work. From there, we'll take a, a single problem statement, um, make sure that we know everything about it, and, and um, have a really uh, thorough understanding of, of the components that kind of wrap around that. And then we'll go out to the market and see what solutions are working to address that problem. Luckily in the behavioral health space, there's a lot of emerging solutions. And so we are often able to use well-vetted uh, technologies. Uh, but you know, in some cases, um, we may look to build something uh, at uh, within our digital innovation group, we've got a, a product uh, and technology team. And so that's something that's always an option, though we haven't resorted to that. We also have a ventures team and so investment in other solutions to help them um, grow another great opportunity. So we look at what's in the market, see if we need to build something. Typically, uh, the projects we've worked on, we've been able to use existing solutions. And so we'll do pilots to test them out in our care settings. We've been testing to keep that depression and anxiety uh, project um, kind of rolling through here as an example. Uh, we took that problem statement, looked at a number of different vendors, and chose computerized cognitive behavioral therapy offerings as a great mechanism to help address this problem. So we looked at, I think, 40 different vendors. Uh, by working with our partners, our clinical teams, we had people from the, the front line, we had patients uh, look at some of these solutions, and ultimately landed on two that we did a head-to-head -head pilot on. And we're not trying to replicate clinical research here. It's more about how does this fit into our care settings? Can we integrate it into the provider's workflow? Are the patients experiencing it in the same way? We've got a very diverse population. Health equity is really important to us. And so making sure that the solutions are um, relevant and supportive across our patient population, that's really what we're trying to do. And Julie, you talked a little bit about uh, computerized cognitive behavioral therapy. Could you take a pause there and kind of explain what that um, what that space is and, and uh, what our experience is and how patients and providers interact with it? Sure. So, com so cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the kind of foundational um, types of therapy provided and is a really great way to support patients with depression, anxiety, other conditions. Um, and what research has found is that the core elements of cognitive behavioral therapy are things that translate really well to digital education mechanisms. And so 
uh, a number of solutions have come out where that core uh, the core tenets of cognitive behavioral therapy are integrated into apps or web programs that patients can access on their own. Um, some of the vendors will include uh, service components so that they can integrate coaches or peer mentors or even um, licensed clinicians. Uh, but those patients can go through those mechanisms on their own and really learn and work on that. Um, you know, as a standalone solution or potentially in conjunction with uh, a provider support, whether that's therapy or other, other mechanisms with our care teams. So, you know, what's great is that the, the data that's come out is showing that the effectiveness of that is, uh, is pretty much on par with in-person therapy, which is fantastic. And so we know that this can be a cost-effective mechanism in comparison to in-person therapy. And given we've got limited clinicians, it's a really great resource. And so we have been using this um, both as a standalone support for patients who might be on the lower acuity side. Um, we've been integrating this with uh, some of the therapy offerings that our different regions are providing. And we started with a, a a smaller pilot to test it out. We've been growing that and and learning a lot along the way. Um, we have we've been working. You know, one of the things that we found is that actually, you know, providers have so much on their minds. If we don't have a great way of keeping this top of mind, they're not going to recommend it to their patients. And so. One of the things that we learned is that being able to digitize prescriptions and then even automate them is a really core component of making sure that it gets in the hands of patients. So we have been working with a digital prescription tool that happens through our EMR. It's made the workflow easier for our providers. And on the flip side, the patients just get it into their email. They know exactly what to download. We can give them the instructions, some extra education around the tool. And um, that's been a really helpful way of making sure that patients have access to, to something that can be so effective. And Julie, what was the name of the auto prescription tool? Just so we so we're using Zelf, which is actually a spin out from uh, the Digital Innovation Group. And uh, it's been really critical for us in making sure that patients have access for it. And I'm really excited because we're about to kick off a new pilot and we are going to be doing some new um, testing around ways of better targeting patients. So if a patient has a, a depression screening or anxiety screening score that puts them at concern from our clinical um, team's perspective, we're going to be able to send them a prescription to Silver Cloud automatically where we're doing this. And so a really great way to find the patients that need it and get them the tools that can help them. That's great. A quick note for any folks listening in. We've got, I've got a few questions left. I see we've got about seven minutes left. Um, if you want to drop any questions in the chat, uh, please feel free. Uh, we'll try and address them as we go. But uh, Julie, to, to sort of move on a little bit more, um, what are some other solutions that we're working on currently? What's sort of on the horizon for us? 
Absolutely. So I'm going to reference this because I think it's a helpful way of thinking about how we craft a digital strategy for behavioral health. And this is included in the report that was published. So uh, definitely, you know, go go to the um, Digital Innovation Group's resource page, download the report. We've got a lot of great information in there. But, you know, one of the ways that we're thinking about um, creating a comprehensive experience for patients is screening and navigating uh, or screening and evaluating patients, navigating them to the right um, mechanisms, and then really providing support tools. So we, we kind of think about it in three main buckets. And we are using digital in all of those components integrated with our in-person care services so that we can help patients wherever they come in, no wrong door. And so we're adding digital components in each of those. So um, in partnership with our, uh, or really driven by our physician enterprise team, uh, they're doing automated depression screenings in the primary care settings. Those are going out um, to mobile in advance of visits. And so that's been a really great way to get more data through for our providers when they see patients. Uh, In that navigation phase, uh, I I mentioned Zelf is a great digital prescription tool. And so we're using that and um, building out some capabilities on our mobile app to think about how we can get patients additional resources that are are relevant to them. And then the support bucket is where we are really focusing a lot of our efforts. So I mentioned computerized cognitive behavioral therapy. That's been um, a a critical component, but we're working on another, uh, other mechanisms. Right now, uh, suicide uh, prevention is a really critical component for us. Um, The Wellbeing Trust did some research and estimated that because of COVID, there are going to be 75,000 extra deaths of despair um, between suicide and overdose. And data this morning came out that showed that 2020, um, the number of overdoses uh, increased by 30%. And so these are critical areas that you know we know that you know that the care as usual is is not sufficient we're still having real problems with this and so adding digital components um, to help create more comprehensive support mechanisms is critical so a pilot that we kicked off yesterday with our care teams is around suicide prevention in the emergency department and that is helping on two fronts one is making sure that we've got a thorough assessment from our patients so that they really under so that our care team understands all of the elements of that. Uh, this is really a critical component of the evidence-based um, uh, research that's come out. You know, we we need to be focusing on that. But then on a secondary component is making sure that our patients have the have support tools and coping skills. So we've got cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, or I'm sorry, uh, DBT, yeah, uh, modules, they've got um, meditation and breathing exercises. And having a safety plan or a crisis plan, this is another um, 
tool that has a lot of research behind it and, and making sure that that is happening consistently for every patient that comes into our emergency departments and beyond. You know, any patient coming into primary care should have this too. So we're starting with emergency departments. We're going to be uh, testing that, that tool out and uh, hopefully expanding that if we're successful. Great. I have one quick question from the chat. Uh, I think that's all we'll probably have time for, but um, are you incorporating holistic or alternative modality therapies to aid in treatments? So I know that our care teams work to um, really focus on all of the research. And so there's a lot of different um, mechanisms that they're using, including uh, holistic and alternative therapies. Uh, our care teams work really hard to make sure that they are incorporating um, the, the latest mechanisms. And so I know, um, you know, for example, meditation is one of the things that is coming out. There's uh, increasing research to show the benefits of that. And that's incorporated into some of the digital tools that we're using. Uh, I think that a lot of those holistic and alternative therapies haven't necessarily trickled into digital yet. Um, but, uh, you know, once the research, you know, with the research, that's really a critical component. Being able to, to put that into digital is, is really helpful. So we're seeing a lot of um, direct-to-consumer offerings here, and we'll certainly be uh, continuing to um, monitor what the results are and make sure that we are incorporating what is really working for patients. Great. All right. Uh, I see we're just about at time. So uh, thank you again, Julie. Before we go, a quick additional plug for that report Julie wrote about the role of digital and behavioral health. Uh, you can find it at providence-dig.org. Um, I think the link's gonna be at the bottom maybe somewhere. Um, and click on the resource center. There's a bunch of other great reports and webinars. I think this one will be up there. There's articles, so definitely check it out. Thank you, Julie, for joining us today and to everyone listening and sending your questions. To learn more about our initiatives, programs, services, ways to give, uh, or if you're looking for medical care, of course, uh, please visit providence.org. Make sure also to follow us on social media at Providence Health System for LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and under Providence on Twitter. Uh, so thanks, everyone, and uh, hope you have a great Thursday. Bye.